Well, once again, welcome, everybody. And again, you know, happy Mother's Day. And it's just so good to celebrate. You know, last year we had a drive-by, not drive-by, uh, a drive-by pass-out where we had to pass out breakfast, you know, because of COVID. But it was so good to have everybody here. But just in case you missed it, we have a lot of leftovers, and we are going to be passing them out at uh, Connect Cafe. So please stick around afterwards for that. But it's interesting, this past week, you know, I'm a chaplain for the uh, San Gabriel, I'm one of the chaplains for the San Gabriel Police Department. And we got together, and we got together with, you know, the, one of the lieutenants who oversees our program. And we were just talking about how difficult it is to pasture in today's area. And he was just sharing how difficult it is to um, uh, be a law enforcement officer, you know, in today's culture, because there's so much tension, and people are just so angry now. We live in a culture of anger. I know Annette Kakimoto, who's our uh, director of discipleship, you know, uh, um, pointed me to this book by Ed Steltzer called Christians in the Age of Outrage. And pretty much that depicts our culture, right? I mean, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you are just feeling tense right now? You know, just because of life, just because of life. You know, we had two years of COVID-19, masks or no masks, and then we think, oh, it's, woo, we finally get the, um, uh, we're getting back to normal, then Omicron hits, and then it's, okay, Omicron's over, I got my other vaccination, and then we know, uh-oh, numbers are coming back up again, what does that mean? You know, we couldn't get products or products that we wanted. There was a huge delay just because of the shortage that's out there. Or things are just more expensive. When you go to the market and you try to buy food, it's just more expensive. We all know gas prices, right? Gas prices are crazy. Now we're thinking, okay, should I go there or not? We're thinking about that. Why? Because we know that we're going to have to fill our uh, tank you know, and the Ukraine war, you know, that's causing a lot of tension in our country. And then now it's the drought, right? You know, coming um, June 1st, we're going to have those restrictions where you could only water once uh, a week. You know, in our family, we've already started those military showers, which is no fun. You turn in, you're soaping yourself off, and oh, it's cold. You, t- you have to turn the water back on. We got buckets that we're using when, you know, you turn on your water and you want to wait till it gets hot. Well, we're trying to save that water and to water our plants or do something with it. And that's frustrating because you read about the drought we're in. And then we had the Supreme Court leak. And it just seemed like there's just so much tension in our nation right now. And so how do we deal with that? You know, because the problem is that creates tension, but then what do we do? We bring that home. And how many times have we argued with our spouse, our children, or people at work, and it has nothing to do with that other than the fact that we're just tense, and we're, we're just angry, and any little thing will just set us off. And that's the world we're living in today. And a lot of you probably are experiencing that. And we've been going through our series in James, and I'm going to call it unstuck, right? Because a lot of us feel like we're stuck. We're just in this tense um, part of our life, and we're just feeling this anger. We feel this helplessness, and we're, we're stuck. 
And I actually got that from Pastor Steve last week. I had no idea what this was serious was going to call it. He talked about, you know, being stuck and unstuck. And I said, hey, what a great sermon series. And so we're just going to call it Unstuck. So sorry, Steve, I stole that from you. Um, and so that's a series as we go through James. But the question is, how do we live as Christians? How do we live as disciples of Jesus Christ during this time where there is so much tension and division and anger in our country and our world. And that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me um, to James chapter 1, starting with verse 19. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So he's saying brothers and sisters. So he's addressing the believers here. So if you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, James is talking to us here. But he also says take note of this. What is the this? Well, last week, Pastor Steve, uh, oh, just to let you know, I know there is some confusion, and why do we call Steve Pastor Steve? Right? He goes, I didn't know he's on your staff. Well, he's not on our staff. But Pastor Steve and I used to serve at a church together that was American Baptist. And we were both ordained American Baptists, and we obtained the highest level of ordination, which is a lifetime ordination. So what that means is we carry that ordination. So he's still reverend, so if you want to call him Reverend Steve, that's perfectly in line to call him Reverend. Oh, he's shaking his head. Don't call me Reverend. I know I hate that term too, Reverend. Um, but, you know, he retains the ordination. So um, he's still a Reverend, just like I'm still technically an American Baptist ordained minister too, but I just have dual citizenship. I'm free Methodist ordained, and I'm American Baptist ordained too. But while I'm here, I follow free Methodist polity. So that's why we call him Pastor Steve. But anyway, you know, we were, um, he was talking about James, and he talked about how do we deal with trials and temptations? You know, because they're going to come up. And he said, you know, they don't, um, he said, our faith is grown by trials and temptations. And so when um, James is referring to this, he's referring back to how do we deal with trials and temptation? How do we deal with the tension that, that we feel in our society? How do we feel with the angst we feel when there are so much unknowns right now? When all we do is listen to the news and it's 90% negative, we look at the uh, news websites and it's all negative. Right, And if you read too much of that, it does affect us and how we look at the world. Right, And I said, how we look at the world also determines our actions. And so how do we as believers deal with that? And so this is what James is talking about. And he says, when we um, are tempted or when we uh, experience difficult times as believers, we are to do uh, three things. And he said, one of these things we are to do real quickly, and the other two we're supposed to do real slowly. And so what does he say? When we experience trials, when we experience temptations, when things in our life aren't going well, when we are fighting with our spouses, when we are fighting with our children, when we are not getting along with our coworkers, when we are accused of something that we are not we, that we didn't do, when people are talking about us and gossiping about us and saying things that aren't true, how do we deal with this? And he says the first thing that we need to do is be quick to listen. 
We need to be quick to listen. So the question is, we should be quick to listen. Listen to who? Listen to ourselves? Listen to our our ideas? Listen to our ability to get ourselves out of this? Listen to our friends? No, when he says be quick to listen, be quick to listen to God. Be quick to go to God's word. Be quick to try to come to God and say, God, how do I deal with that? But then the problem is, isn't that the last place we go? The first thing we do is try to figure out on our own. The second thing, if we can't figure it out, we'll go to somebody. Hey, I've got this problem. What do you think I should do? But what does James say we should do? We should be quick to go to God first. Because there are so many things that we can't see that only he could see, and we could be deceived. You know, one of these shows that I watch all the time that my wife hates when I watch this show, it's called Mayday Air Disasters. And so what it does is it just talks about airplane crashes, right? What causes these crashes and then how they fix them in the future. And she was even mad at me because we were flying to Portland the next day. And she going, what are you doing watching this show? You know, and I said, look, I used to work in the airline industry at the airport. I used to talk to mechanics all the time. Trust me, these planes are safe, right? I said, you are safer in an airplane than you are coming to church. Right, But anyway, they had this one um, where they were trying to um, figure out what went wrong when Kobe Bryant died. What went wrong that caused that helicopter crash? And and so as they were um, taking apart this, they felt that the pilots suffered from spatial disorientation. Because we know that when um, the pilot was taking Kobe and the people to the game, You know, he flew by line of sight, meaning he would follow certain visual markers, freeways. You would recognize freeways. You would recognize buildings, and you would fly accordingly, right? But the problem was the weather got worse, where visibility got low. And so what he wanted to do was climb above the clouds. But when he was in the clouds, you couldn't see anything. And when a, a helicopter pilot's in the clouds and they can't see anything, they don't know if you're going up, you're going down, if you're going left, or you're going right. Why? Because you can't see anything. And so in that time, you have to fly by your instruments because the instruments don't lie. The human brain gets tricked. And so it was interesting where his last communication, the pilot was saying that I'm climbing to 4,000 feet because he wanted to get above the cloud cover because he couldn't see anything. But in reality, as I was looking at the tape, as the black box, he thought he was climbing to 4,000 feet. But in actuality, he was banking to the left and going down very steeply. But he thought he was going up. He thought he was going up. And people said, well, why did he crash? And then they did these tests on these other helicopter pilots, and they put him in the same scenario and in a simulator. Are you going up? Are you going down? Are you going right or are you left? And a lot of them got spatial um, disorientation because they, um, pr- they didn't allow them to use their instruments. A seasoned pilot would use their instruments when they can't see because instruments, they are not um, tricked like the human brain could be tricked. And that's the way it is when we, uh, when we are in a tense situation, right? We don't use our instruments in order to fly. And our instruments is what? Going to God. 
Because in our mind, things might be foggy. In our mind, we go, God, why is this happening? I can't see all around us. You know, it's really tense. But God could see things as clear as day. God has a plan for you. God wants to give you direction because he knows you can't see. So he's saying, fly by your instruments. Use me. Come to me. Listen to me, and I will guide and direct you. This is why we need to go to God first. Because if not, we are flying, and we could get spatial or spiritual disorientation. The second thing he says is slow to speak. You know, you can't listen when you're intent on communicating your point or thinking about what you're trying to say. Have you ever been with a person that you just can't get a word edgewise in, right? And you're trying to talk, and you and go, man, this person's not even listening to me, right? And, and, you know, unfortunately, I've corrected that problem in me too because there are times when somebody's talking to me, sharing a problem to me, and I get distracted. And they tell me something that's pretty, you know, you know, just hurtful in their life. Like maybe somebody, something happened to them, something happened to them that was really bad. And I'm not listening. And then I reply, oh, that's good. Oh, that's nice. And then I only know I misstep when I see their facial expression. And I go, uh-oh. <laughs> you know, and then I have to, you know what? I'm sorry. I, I wasn't paying attention. What did you say again? Right? Because I wasn't listening. Yeah, I was either distracting or I was thinking about what I was going to say. So what's he saying? Be slow to speak. And so Proverbs, Proverbs 29, 20 says, Do you see someone who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than them. He said a fool, or, a fool is wiser than a person who speaks in haste. James says, when you come to um, a, a problem in your life, when you're going through trials, when life gets up, stop trying to figure it out. Stop trying to tell God your situation. Listen. Listen. Start tr stop trying to convince God that, hey, God, could you do this? This is what I need in my life. No, listen. Listen. Then he says, slow to become angry. You know, when God tells you something, you know, a lot of times when you go to God and he tells you, okay, Dave, this is what I want you to do, and you're going, what? You know, how's this going to make my problem better? This is going to make my problem even worse. You know, and then we get angry. And what's he saying? Be slow to anger. Why? He says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, God isn't impressed by our tantrums, temper tantrums. It's not like he says, oh, Dave, you're so mad. Okay, let, let me change things up for you. Let me give you what you want so you won't be mad. God doesn't work that way, right? We are not, um, he is not impressed to move by our temp, temper tantrums. So he said, don't get angry when God gives us the answer and we don't like it. So what does he say to do? We are to be quick, we are quick to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Now, this also, you know, this also works in our relationships with people. So, you know, when something's going on in your life, you know, it's good advice to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. 
But in this case, we're referring to our response to trials as we respond to God. And it prevents that oops response, right, that we get. You know, this past week I was going to lunch at this place called, I think it's called the Burnt Belly. It's in the Blossom Market. And, you know, I heard they have pretty good barbecue. And so I was going there, and Grace was saying, hey, could you get me something? So I'm in line, and so I take a picture of the menu, and I text Grace, well, what do you want? Right? And so I'm in line, getting closer. I'm not hearing anything back. And I said, oh, she's busy and all that. And to be honest, I was getting a little perturbed, right? Because I'm trying to do something nice. You know, I'm thinking about you. I want you to get what you want, you know, that, something that will make you happy. But I'm not getting any response. So I look up and I said, okay, I'm just going to pick the three meat special. There will be more than enough and she could have this. And I'll pick some sides that I think she would like, right? And so I never got the response and I got it. And so later I get a, check, uh, a text from Chet Yoshizaki. And he goes, well, I'll take number one. And I go, what is he talking about? And what, because I just, I showed the picture and I said, what do you want? All right? I didn't realize, that text was supposed to go to Grace, but it went to Chet instead. And then he said, I'll have, I'll take number one. And I go, what are you, okay, if you want, I guess I'll go buy you something too, you know. But I texted the wrong person. How many times have we done that? Well, we sent a text to somebody, we expected a response, they didn't respond, why? Because we sent it to the wrong person. Good thing I didn't get mad and say, hey, I texted you this, why didn't you answer me? Then there would have been, oops, you know? But, you know, that happens. How many times does that happen? Well, we, we um, assume things. We are quick to get angry. We are quick to speak. We don't know the situation. We jump to conclusions hastily. And then it's like, whoops, <laughs> you know. And isn't that way with God? You know, we don't understand what's going on. We're in this fog. We can't see anything. We're getting this spiritual um, disorientation. We get angry at God. We're telling him this is what you need to do. Then later on, we see what he did, and it's like, oops. If only I had listened to you. You knew what you were talking about. So when we're in a trial, those are the three things that um, he wants to do. But also, James continues by saying that, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so present, prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, here James is using an agricultural um, example. And, you know, when you use an agricultural example on us, especially me, I'm just like, what is that? I don't know. But see, back then, all of the readers understood this. Because they were an agricultural society. And so what he says is, hey, get rid of all of the moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent in you. And he's just talking about the moral um, sins that we commit. But the evil is more than just moral filth. It, it's, it's really thinking about doing something, contemplating on it, and then doing it. He said it's with an intention to do evil. And he says, get rid of that. But humbly um, accept the words that's planted in you. Did you know that God planted his word in each one of you? 
that the living word is planted in each one of us. And the, Holy, and the way the Holy Spirit transforms us, and I don't know exactly how this works, but the Holy Spirit, you know, communicates with that word that God is planted inside of us. And when we read God's word, which is scripture, it connects with the word that is inside us. And then he says, because it's been planted inside you. In Matthew thirteen twenty three, Jesus talks about the different types of soil. And in verse 23, he talks about the good soil that, or the seed that was planted in us. He said, but the seed falling on the good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. And what he was saying, that God implanted his word in us, you know, like a seed. And then when we are obeying him, when we are following God's word, the seed inside us, which each one of us has, it just grows and it produces a harvest of 60 or whatever times in our lives and that's what God wants for us but also he says in verse 22 he said the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the world word making it unfruitful And so what is Jesus saying here? We have the word planted in us. However, when we sin, when we don't get rid of this, what he called moral filth and evil in our lives, what happened? Weeds grow up. And see, this is the problem with sin, is sin chokes us. Sin gets us stuck. And this is why it's so bad. Yes, it's something that offends God, but you know, Satan's out to destroy us. Satan wants to choke you. Right? I don't know if you've ever been choked or you know, ever had a food, piece of food lodged in your throat and you couldn't breathe, how terrifying that is. Well, this is what he's talking about here. His sin produces weeds and they choke us. And so that's why he's saying get rid of all of this. And he said, do not merely listen to the world word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. You know, if you just hear the word, if you just hear me speaking about the Bible, if you just read the Bible, but you don't apply it to your life, you're deceiving yourself. Because it is impossible for you to grow spiritually. It is impossible for you to experience God's power if you just read the word and do nothing with it. Right Now, reading the Word is important. It's very important. You have to know what it says. For those of you who are going through walking with the Word, it's really important that you do that. But more importantly is that you do what it says. Because that's the part that transforms your life. That's the part when the Holy Spirit starts working with that Word that's already planted inside of us, that's in us. And that's when transformation um, happens. And he says that anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like, right? Now, back then, they didn't have mirrors like we had today, right? Their mirrors were normally polished metal. So you could see yourself, but you can see yourself as clearly as you thought. But what are you saying? If you read the Bible, And you don't do what it says. It's like looking at a mirror, looking at yourself and forgetting what you look like. 
You know, I remember when we went to Hawaii, right? You know, Grace took a picture of me, and she just starts laughing, and it was kind of funny. I go, what's so funny? And she showed me a picture, and I go, that's me? You know, because for me, I've, you, know, you know that I've been having a lot of health issues. So I've been trying to eat properly and exercise, so in my mind, I was doing well. But then I see a picture of me just standing here like this. You know, without a shirt. And I started laughing too because it was just so funny. And I go, that's me? But in my mind, no, that's not me. You know? (laughs) And and so, because I I think of myself differently, right? Because I said, you know, I've been eating right, I've been exercising, I've been losing weight. But I forgot what I look like. Why? Because I don't look at myself in the mirror. You know, when I was younger, I used to work at, and when I was in college, I used to work at this gym, right? I was an instructor at a gym. So we used to work out, and um, they have, you know, they have mirrors all over the place. So every time you pass a mirror, it's like, hey, and you're like, <laughs> you know, and I used to look at myself as a mirror. Now I don't. I see a mirror, I just walk on by. I don't even know if there's a mirror there, right? But that's the same thing. You know, how many, what, what he's saying is, you know, you, you read the word, it's like looking at a mirror, but forgetting what you look like. You know, so you don't even know that, hey, you are no longer the person that you used to be. Because either we are moving closer to God, or we are moving away from God. There is no middle ground. And so if we look at the mirror when, and we're reading the word, we look at ourselves, and we're not doing what he's saying, what is what is James saying? Hey, we're moving away from God. We're not that same person that we saw in that mirror. We're totally different. And so that's what he's saying. However, he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You want to be blessed you want to live a blessed life? I know all of you are saying yes. I know I'm not getting the amens that Steve gets here. You know, but I, you know, I know that we all want to live a blessed life. And how do we do that? Well, what does James say? If you want to live a blessed life, read the word, but what? Do it. Apply it to your life. In order to live a blessed life, you need to do what the Bible says, not just read it. And that's the point I want you to take. You know, Dallas Willard says that it's better in one year to have 10 good verses transformed into the substance of our lives than to have every word of the Bible flash before our eyes. What he's saying is that it's better in a year to have 10 verses that we apply to our lives, that become a part of how we live our lives, than to read the whole Bible and have it do nothing. And that's what he's talking about, that we need to apply God's word. So how do we do that? Well, let's look at Ephesians 3, verse 20. And now I picked these two verses because if you go to my computer in the office, I have these printed and taped to my computer. It says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask, Wait, I'm sorry. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. 
Now, this is a part of the prayer that the Apostle Paul is saying to the Ephesians, right? Now, we get it when the Bible says, don't murder. Okay, I get that. I follow that. Don't steal. Okay, very clear. Don't lie. Got it. Okay, I know how to apply. But then how do we apply this scripture? Because this is a powerful form of scripture, but it's not a command. How do we apply this? Any thoughts? What do you guys think? As you look at this verse, it's not a command, but how do we apply this? Well, first of all, we see that there's a, his power that is at work within us. We all know that the power of the Almighty God is living inside us, right? But he also says, now to him, God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. How does this, how does your prayer life reflect this? Do you ask God for more than you could imagine? And this is why I have this verse, because I'm so tempted to pray for things that I know are within the realm of human possibility. But as a pastor, what are my prayers supposed to be? My prayer life should be asking God for things that I can't even imagine according to the power that's in us. So, right, it doesn't give us any direction, so to speak, but this is how we apply Scripture to our lives. Go to the next one. Next slide. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is another thing that I see every day on my computer. So how could we apply this to our lives? How, we, how could we do what this says? Because this isn't a command, but it's a, script, it's a powerful uh, portion of Scripture. How do we apply this? Are you in a situation right now where you just feel there's no way out? Are you in a situation right now where the trial is so great that you feel, I can't do this? Are you in a situation right now where you feel God is calling you to do something that you're just saying, no way, God, can this happen? Are you in a trial right now when God has told you, okay, Dave, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to act in this trial. This is what I want you to do to give me glory. And you're saying, no way. This is impossible. What's my response? I could do it. I could do it. Why? Because it says, I could do all this through him who gives me strength. This is how we apply Scripture to our lives. Yeah, yeah you could do it. You, you may not think you could do it. You are spiritually disoriented because you can't see anything. You might be going, thinking you're going up when you're actually going down. But God sees everything clearly. And because of that, he said, you know what? I'm asking you to do this. Therefore, you could do it. Because I'm giving you the strength to do that. That's 
how we apply Scripture in our lives. Not just the part that says, do this or don't do that. This is how we apply Scripture in our lives. So what's our weekly challenge? I'd like us to read James 1, 19 through 25. And I want you to choose one of the verses in this passage and just do what it says. Apply it to your life. Just one. Just pick one of those verses. Or if you have one outside James. But just apply it to your life this week and see what happens. Worship team, please come forward as we close this time. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that when there are times when we experience trials and temptations, Father, that you give us a game plan, you give us a path to follow that is perfect, that it's your plan. And Father, I ask that you would give each one of us the discipline, Father, to be quick to listen, to be slow to speak, and slow to anger. Father, that we do not rely on ourselves to get us out, to deal with these, our struggles, but, Father, that we come to you. That when we read Scripture, we just don't read it and go to the next verse and go to the next verse. But, Father, we really look at it and struggle with it and say, how do I apply this to my life? How can I actually do this? And so, brothers and sisters, if you are in a situation right now where it's just foggy all around you, where you really can't see anything, and you are disoriented, you might think you're going up, but you are plunging downward, and you don't know how to get out of this fog. You don't know how to navigate through this fog. I implore you, that you fly, use your instruments. That you trust in a God who sees clearly. That you trust in a God that's not fooled by not being able to see because God could see through the murkiest fog and to him it's clear as day. And he wants to guide you He wants to direct you. He wants to give you the strength to go through this. But our part is to do what his word says. So I pray that each one of us do that this week. That we read God's word and then we do what it says. Oh, Father, may you grant those who are going through a difficult time right now, may you give them the access to that power, that immeasurable power, Father, that comes from you, that is living in each, in, that's living in each one of them, Father. And let them know that they have access to this, that they are not helpless, that they are not weak, that they are not clueless, because of that power that is in them, which is your spirit that will never leave us nor forsake us. 
Father, may you allow them to access that power as they go through some dark times in their lives today. In your son's name we pray, amen.